Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. A couple of years ago now, we uh, sadly had to say goodbye to our puppy. He actually wasn't a puppy anymore. Uh, Max was 15 years old, which is pretty good for a border collie. And uh, we woke up, he had been getting lame in his back legs. He was on all sorts of medication for quite a while just to try and keep him going. Got up one morning and he just couldn't stand up on his back legs anymore. They just kept sliding out from under him. And we decided it was time uh, to take him uh, to the vet and to let him go and to say goodbye. It was the kindest uh, thing to do. But nobody in our, uh, none of the girls in our family could bear the thought of taking him to the vet and so it landed on me and Joey. And so me and my son, we carefully picked up Max and uh, we carried him to the car and we carefully laid him in the car. We drove him to uh, the vet and we picked him up and we carried him carefully uh, from the car into the vet surgery and we sat on the, on the, uh, the surgery floor and we caressed him, we patted him, we told him what a good dog he was. We gave him little chalky doggy treats that he probably hadn't had since he was a puppy. You know, we just showered kindness on this dog. We were so uh, kind to him, those tears rolling down our eyes as we said goodbye uh, to to Max. It was just such kindness uh, in our heart. We loved Max, but Max wasn't a perfect dog. In fact, Max could be a pretty annoying dog. You know, Max would uh, dig up, you know, my grass and and my garden and make a mess all over uh, the the backyard. You know, Max in a uh, lightning storm, he hated lightning, he would scratch all over our timber door and he just, he would scratch it so hard if we weren't home and he couldn't get in, he would scratch crevices uh, in our our front door. And one day he he got so scared, he he pounded so hard against our side gate that he pulled the gate, he pulled the ramset bolts out of the wall and pushed the whole gate, you know, over in our backyard. You know, Max could be an annoying dog. You know, Max would eat things. He would eat just about anything that you left laying around the backyard. And you'd wonder where your missing thongs were. The girls would wonder where their missing Barbie dolls were. And they would turn up in little chalk drops, you know, around the backyard, you know, in the, in, in, in the coming days. Max could be an annoying dog. And then there was the time that uh, the infamous car trip when the kids gave him all the leftover Thai food that was in the fridge. And we drove from Brisbane to Sydney, six of us with Max uh, in the back and we got somewhere around Coffs Harbour and I could hear from the front seat over the diesel engine you know, of the four-wheel drive, I could hear Max's tummy grumbling you know, way back in the back of the car. 
And before we knew it, there was an explosion of Thai food all through the back of the car. And by the time I pulled the car over and stopped the car, the whole back of the car was just covered in what was once Thai food, you know, about eight hours earlier. It did not agree, you know, with our dog. And so we drove from Coffs Harbour to Sydney with every window open in the car with our heads out the window. That dog could be annoying and that dog did not smell good, you know, after he ate half his body weight in Musselman Curry. Max could be annoying. Max could be hard work. But when he was dying, we showed extravagant kindness to him. There was so much kindness in our heart. It got me thinking, what if we showed the same kindness to people who can be annoying? What if we showed the same kindness to people who can be hard work as we do to dead dogs? I want to read a story today in the Old Testament that actually talks about that. It actually talks about a king who shows extravagant kindness to a person who describes himself as a dead dog. And this story, it actually is a powerful story for us today because the king that is described in the Old Testament, we see in other parts of the Bible, that he's simply a forerunner of Jesus. He is to be a picture of who our ultimate king, the king of all kings, you know, would be when he came. And so when we see the kindness of this king in the Old Testament, remember it's just a picture It's a picture of King Jesus. It's a picture of our King today and the kindness that he has in his heart for us. 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you've got a Bible, let's open it up. It says, David asked, David is the king, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Just remember that where they lived, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, great name, anyone thinking of looking for a name for uh, their son or their dog, Mephibosheth's good name. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to Honour him. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, who is, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me. 
Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Let me give a little bit of context. Saul was anointed the first king of Israel, but Saul's heart turned away from God. Saul's heart turned hard towards God. He started worshipping other gods. And so God sent the prophet Samuel, who wrote this book that we just read. God sent the prophet Samuel to actually anoint a new king. His name's David, who we've just read about in this story. Saul actually gets jealous of David, gets jealous of all of his, his leadership ability and all of his conquests on, on the battlefield. He decides to try and kill uh, David. David finds out about it and by the grace of God, David's life is protected. And somewhere in the midst of all of this chaos, David and Saul's son, Jonathan, become best mates. They become really uh, good friends and they make a covenant with one another that whatever happens in all of this mess that's going on, that they would protect one another's families, that they would show kindness and favour to, to one another's families. Saul and Jonathan end up being killed on the battlefield and David lives and David becomes king. And the only living relative of Saul that is left is a young boy named Mephibosheth. And at the age of five years old, the servant picks up Mephibosheth and flees for their life. Because normally when a new king sat upon the throne, one of the first things that they would do would wipe out all of the family members of the old king because they didn't want anyone trying to usurp their throne. And so normally everyone would be wiped out. And so this servant picks up Mephibosheth and they flee for their lives. But as they're fleeing, the servant drops Mephibosheth and his legs are so badly damaged that he is lame in both legs for the rest of his life. And they flee to a place called Lodabar. And being lame in both legs is not good when you live in an agricultural society and to survive, you have to be able to farm so that you can eat. And it's not good when you are being chased by a king who wants to kill you. And when you are lame in both feet, you cannot run. But the surprising thing about this story is that King David does not flee after Mephibosheth to kill him. We actually see in, in this story, David inquires. He says, is there, verse uh, 4, 3 and 4, he says, is there still no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. 
our king. So remember, this king, King David, is a picture of King Jesus. That's why this ancient story still has incredible power and relevance for us today. Our king is kind to dead dogs. I don't know if you've ever felt like a dead dog. Mephibosheth did. He didn't, in this culture, he didn't have a whole lot going for him. He, he couldn't work like uh, other men. He knew he, he, he'd, he was an exile. He'd fled to a country that wasn't his own or a region that wasn't his own because he thought someone was out to kill him. He felt like a dead dog. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Felt, felt like, you know, all your hair's missing and you're kind of just laying on the road and you're just hoping someone will scrape you up and pick you up and look after you because you've got no ability with yourself, within yourself to pick yourself up and just get going again. We all have some moments like that. Some moments where we feel about as useful and hopeful and resourceful as a dead dog. Mephibosheth says, why would you notice me? And we see King David actually goes searching for him. You see, a king is kind to dead dogs. He actually searches for lost people to show extravagant kindness to. That's the heart of God. That's why right across Queensland, we're all doing Alpha in term three. We, we want to search for lost people like our king searches for lost people to show extravagant kindness to. We see this is not just the heart of King David, it's the, it's the heart of King Jesus. When King Jesus is on earth and people are starting to see his power and authority to, to heal sicknesses. And it says in Luke chapter 8 that there's people crowding all around him. People want to be near Jesus. They're jostling him you know, in a crowd because he's doing all these miracles. He's healing all of these people. And one day when he's in this crowd, you know, he says to his disciples, who just touched me? And the disciples say, you know, Jesus, there's people all around you. What do you mean? Who just touched you? Lots of people are touching you. And he says, no, I know power has just gone out of me. Someone has just touched me. And he stops the whole crowd. He gets the attention of the whole community. And he says, who is it that just touched me? And there's a woman there who wasn't supposed to be there. As a woman, you know, who's been sick for 12 years. And in this culture, when you were sick in this way, you weren't supposed to mix with the rest of the crowd. You were supposed to stay outside of the town. You were supposed to stay away from people. It was really just superstition that, you know, everybody else was going to become unclean. Because she was unclean. She wasn't supposed to be there. She was, if she was to walk into a crowd, she was supposed to yell out, unclean, everywhere she went. She couldn't be a part of regular society. But she'd heard about Jesus and so she sneaks into the crowd. She doesn't want anyone to notice her. And she reaches out and she touches His cloak. And immediately... She can feel the power of Jesus come into her body and heal her. And she's hoping just to sneak away. 
She's hoping just to, to sneak away so no one would notice. But Jesus wouldn't let it happen. Says this in Luke chapter 8. Says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then this is what Jesus said to her Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor for nearly 30 years. Because I love God and I love people. I, I love all of you in this room. I, I just, just love that you're part of, of our church here at Gateway Redlands. But there's only three people in my world that I call daughter. And I have to say I love them more than all of you. I love those three girls more than all of you. They're my daughter. I was there when they were born. I, I held them in my arms from the minute they started to breathe. I was there when they took their first step. I, I carried them when they fell over and they grazed their knees. I carried them when people spoke words of destruction over them, words that hurt them. And I held them close to my chest and I told them how much I loved them. I've walked one of them down an aisle. One of the greatest joys of my life. I, I love them more than you. As much as I love all of you, they're my daughters. Here's this woman who feels like a dead dog. She calms and she's whimpering at Jesus' feet. She knows she's not supposed to be there. And what does Jesus say to her? It's the first word that comes out of his mouth. Say it with me. Daughter. You're my daughter. I was there when you were born. In fact, I was there when you were knitted together in your mother's womb. and Nobody else saw you. I saw you. I was there when you took your first step. I was there when people spoke destructive words over you and I cried with you when you cried. I embraced you in your pain. You are my daughter. You see, our king is kind to dead dogs. He searches for people to show extravagant kindness to. No one goes unnoticed by King Jesus. I want to encourage you today. Our, our world needs a touch of kindness, does it not? Come on, does our world need a touch of kindness right now? You can't change the world for everyone, but you can change the world for someone. Who in your world right now needs a touch of kindness? Who do you need to notice? If we're gonna be people that show the kindness of our King to the people around us, who do you need to notice right now in your workplace, in your neighbourhood that just needs a touch of kindness? They might need a casserole cooked for them. 
They might need someone to mow their lawn. They might need someone to speak words of life over them because all they're hearing from everybody else is words that are hurtful. Who? Who needs a touch of kindness right now? Our King is kind to dead dogs. He searches for lost and broken people to show kindness to. I wonder if some of us this morning, right now, just as I'm asking you that question, you got one person in mind. Someone around you that just needs a touch of kindness right now that doesn't go unnoticed by God because they didn't go unnoticed by you. God prompted you this morning to actually give them a touch of kindness. Our king is kind of dead. Dogs, he searches for people to show extravagant kindness to and he restores whatever we've lost. You know, one of the annoying things about uh, our dog was that he would, as I said, eat everything that we left outside the back door. You know, we'd find, you know, rubber thongs chewed to bits. You know, I, I refused. When, when the girl's Barbie went missing, I, uh, I refused to buy a new one. Do you know how expensive those things are? I just waited for it to come out the other end. I gave it a good wash with the hose straight back in the toy box. Didn't look quite the same. Didn't smell quite the same. Probably uh, our story that we still keep talking about, Max, was the year he found the kid's stash of Easter eggs. He ate every one, coloured foil and all. We were finding little pockets of foil around the backyard until Christmas. He was pushing that stuff out from Easter till Christmas. You see, when something was lost in our home, we knew that it might be returned, but it would not be restored to its original condition. And that, that is the definition of restore. It is that something is returned to its original condition. That is the heart of God. That's what we see happening in this story. When when King David goes looking for somebody to show kindness to and he finds Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth falls at his feet and said, how should you notice a dead dog like me? He says, do not be afraid because I will restore to you everything that belonged to your grandfather Saul. I'm gonna restore to you. I'm gonna give you back everything that was originally Yours. Now you need to understand in this story, I pointed out where they were living before. They were living in a place called Lodabar. Does anyone actually know what that means? If you translate that into to English, what Lodabar means? It means no pasture. Or in our language, it means the middle of nowhere. It means no man's land. They went and lived in Lodabar because nobody went there because there was nothing to eat there. It was a perfect place to hide, but it was not a great place to live. And King David turns up and he says, I am gonna restore to you all of the land, tens of thousands of acres of fertile land 
but belong to your grandfather Saul. It's all yours. I'm not keeping any of it for myself. Our king is kind to dead dogs. You see, we've got a king today who restores what we have lost. Now, one of my favourite stories in the Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to go into great detail about it this morning. Many of you have heard it many, many times before. It's a story of the worst son in the history of all mankind. You know, goes to his father and says, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want all your money. Nothing was more disrespectful than that in this culture. But the story does get worse. He becomes more disrespectful. He takes all of his dad's hard-earned money and he wastes it all on, on prostitutes and parties until there's nothing left. And when this story couldn't get any worse and this son couldn't get any worse, you know, when he had nothing left, he went and got worse. He went and started living in a pigsty and eating the scraps that were fed to the pig. And in Jewish culture, there was nothing worse than associating with pigs. In fact, there's nothing worse than eating pigs. Bacon and egg sandwiches weren't a big deal in Jerusalem. You know, they were, they were shunned. But worse than eating something that came from a pig was actually living with a pig and eating the food that the pigs ate. This was kind of the lowest of the lows. You could not sink any lower than this in Jewish culture. And when this son realises that he's got nothing left and he's going to die if he stays here, he returns to his father and he's got this speech all worked out in his mind. Dad, just let me be a servant. I can never be your son again. But if I could just plough your fields, if I could just tend to your animals, if, if, if I could just polish your shoes, let me be a servant. But before he even gets a chance to get the speech out, the, the father, patriarchal society, the man of respect in the family and in the community, sees his son coming a long way off and does what no father in this society would do. He hitches up his skirt and he runs down that driveway and he embraces this son who is the worst son who should have been put to death. Embraces this son and puts his arms around him and he restores to this wayward son everything that he lost. First words that came out of his mouth, put the ring back on his fingers, a family ring, put the robe on his shoulders so that everybody knows he is not to be touched. He is not to be harmed. He's not to be put to death because of all of his sins. He is wearing the family ring and the family robe. Put shoes on his feet. That was the picture that you were no longer a servant. Servants wore bare, had bare feet. But the son in a wealthy family had shoes on his feet. And then let's get all the community together and throw a party because my son that was lost is now found. Fully restored. He restores his purpose. He restores his position in the family. And he throws a party and celebrates because he is fully restored. Can I encourage us this morning? Our King, King Jesus, 
is kind to dead dogs. He restores to original condition anything that we've lost. You want a little picture of original condition? Go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. Perfect, blameless intimacy between people and God. Perfect, unashamed intimacy between husband and wife, person and person. And perfect, peace-filled relationship with the world around us and the environment. God says, I want to restore you to original condition. That's the kind of relationship I want with you. That's the kind of relationship I want you to have with one another. That's the kind of relationship I want you to have in this world and with this world. I wonder if some of us just need God, the midpoint of the year, just need God and his kindness to restore to us, to restore something that we've lost. On right now, and uh, would often look at this painting that Rembrandt did of the prodigal son, and he'd allow, he'd allow just looking at this painting and the story of Luke 15 just to minister to his heart. He said, I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. I wonder if some of us just need to do that today. This picture of the most loving father, the kindest father that we'll ever meet. We just need to put our ear against his chest. And let his, the kindness in his heart begin to transform our heart to restore what we've lost. I would say there's some of us here in this room, we're halfway through the year and, you know, all different, uh, year hasn't worked out exactly as we thought it was going to. And, and maybe you need God to restore intimacy. You've just kind of wandered away. Maybe not quite as badly as the prodigal son, but you've wandered away from God and God's just drawing you close and he's restoring intimacy. And he will. He'll never push you away. He'll always draw you close. He's restoring intimacy. For some of you, he's restoring a confidence in him. You know, this has been, just been knocked around a little bit. Maybe others have spoken hurtful words over you, destructive words over you. And God's just drawing you close. He's drawing into his heart. He's just speaking life over you. He's restoring your mind and the way that you think. For some of you, and this was true of me about four weeks ago, I, I got a couple of mates who, uh, who pray for me all the time. We meet together once a month to pray, but they, they pray for me every day. And any day I can text them and say, hey, this big thing going on, or this is what's going on for me, pray for me. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or probably four weeks ago, I had to text them and say, I've lost my joy. I've just, I've, just, uh, I've run out. I've lost my joy and it doesn't feel good. I've lost my joy for ministry. I've lost my joy in my relationship with God. Pray for me. That can happen to all of us. And I just feel as some of us here this morning, it's a bit of a heart check in the middle of the year, you'd say the same thing. You just lost your joy. The good news is God wants to restore it and he does. I love the way he's just been slowly just restoring me. 
as I put some important practices back into my life, I've just slowed down a little bit. It's been restoring joy. Maybe even think back to when you first got saved, how much joy you had. For some of you today, this wants to restore the joy of your salvation. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He shows searches for people to show extravagant kindness to. He restores what we've lost. And lastly, our king is kind to dead dogs because he invites us to eat at his table every day. You know, we, uh, we trained our dog to do a whole bunch of tricks. Uh, we trained him to, uh, to, to play dead. We trained him to sit. We trained, uh, trained him to round up our chickens. He, we didn't have any sheep. He was a sheep dog. We didn't have any uh, sheep, but we had chickens. And he would round up uh, the chickens. And he was an extremely spiritual dog. My wife, I did not do this, but my wife trained him to say grace before he ate his dinner. And so when we put the bowl down in front of him, he would not eat it until he put his paw up like this. Susan would hold his paw and say grace. It was embarrassing. (laughs) But he would do it every day because Susan did trained him to do it. But one of the annoying things about him was he never wanted what was in his bowl. He never wanted the dry dog biscuits, even though he's been very thankful for them. He wanted to eat what was on our table. And so he was constantly sniffing around our table, wanting to eat what was on our table instead of what was in the bowl. Here in this story, We see Mephibosheth living in Lodabar with no pasture. He's probably not eating great. And King David says, from now on, you'll eat every day at my table. From now on, you'll eat the best food in the land. Nothing will be spared. And our King, King Jesus says the same thing. He says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and and eat and you will be satisfied. In fact, it's the only thing that will satisfy you is actually being in close communion with me. I wonder if some of us, God has spread a table, a banquet in front of us and we're just happy nibbling on the corn chips in the corner and God's saying, I've got something so much better for you. I I want you, I want you to to take everything that I've got to offer you, all of my goodness, all of my grace, all of my living Word, the power of my Holy Spirit. I want you to receive it from me every day. And somehow in our mind, we think God couldn't be that kind of me. He's not really talking about me. And we're happy just sort of nibbling on the corn chips in the corner until one day we get to heaven and hopefully we'll scrape in. Be kind to yourself. I want to encourage you to find someone to be kind to. I want to encourage you today, God is here and He's being kind to you. He's restoring what was lost. But I also want to encourage you to be kind to yourself. God offers you a banquet to satisfy your soul. Do not sit in the corner nibbling on the corn chips. You know, you are what you eat. You know, what it is you take in. You know, if, if you sat down with someone for lunch tomorrow and, uh, you know, they ordered three double whoppers, some uh, fried onion rings, a couple of serves of fries a, uh, and a Diet Coke, 
you kind of think, well, that's pretty stupid. You know, thinking that the Diet Coke is going to you know, fix up the rest of your diet. Some of us are living on a spiritual diet like that. We're kind of watching three hours of Netflix, you know, two hours of Facebook scrolling, you know, a couple of hours of uh, talk back radio and, and mainstream uh, media, and then we're squeezing in 90 seconds of every day with Jesus. And we're thinking that somehow the every day with Jesus in that 90 seconds is actually going to shape our lives more than everything else we're putting into our bodies. I, my uh, grandfather, I used to, he had a bit of a market garden. He used to send me to the produce store to pick up stuff for him in uh, Western Sydney. And there's this produce store I'd always go to. And there's the same guy uh, always working there. And I'd regularly turn up there to pick up loads of fertilizer or whatever I needed to get. And he'd be nibbling on dog biscuits. He always had a dog biscuit in his mouth just nibbling on it. And you can live on them. They won't hurt you. But they're not not that tasty. But this guy, he actually started to look a bit like a dog. It says on the packet, you know, it's good for your coat. He had really hairy arms and long hair. He looked looked a bit mangy. You are what you eat. None of you here in this room would consider going home and snacking on dog biscuits this afternoon. You know there's something better to eat. But many of us are snacking on dog biscuits spiritually. And God's got something so much better for us. Maybe at the start of the year you said, you know, I'm going to wake up every morning and <coughs> they're dry too. Start of the year, I'm going to wake up every morning, I'm going to eat kale, I'm going to do 500 push-ups, I'm going to spend an hour in God's Word and three hours in prayer. And then you get to the middle of the year and you had Fruit Loops this morning, you did two push-ups before you reached for the remote and you've been religiously playing Wordle all year. And it's a bit of a moment, a bit of a heart check in the middle of the year and going, actually, God's got something so much better for me. How can I actually take this banquet that God set before me and take the time to eat and receive it? You know, for me, it means getting back, and I mean, a couple of weeks ago, getting back every day into soap journaling, just simply reading through Scripture, observing, O is for observe, A is for application, P is for prayer, just taking the time to slow down, to read Scripture, observe what God's saying, apply it to my own life and to pray. For me, it means listening. I drive a fair bit these days. It means listening to, to podcasts of, uh, of, of people either reading the Bible or preaching or just reflecting on God's Word in some way as I'm driving and just begin to fill my heart again with the goodness of God. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to encourage you. You know, maybe there's some, some scriptures you need to memorize at the moment. You need to memorize them until they become part of you. Memorize them until they actually become part of who you are and the way you think and the way that you feel. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He searches for people to show extravagant kindness to. I want to encourage us to do the same. Our king 
He's kind to dead dogs. He restores to original condition what we've lost. He wants to restore some of us this morning. I want to encourage some of us this morning to be kind to ourselves. Just to change your diet. Come to his table and receive what he has for you. I need to get the band to come up. What I want to do this morning as we finish, I want to pray for a whole bunch of people just standing right where you are. Just responding to whatever God has been saying to you this morning. And then we're going to start singing this song. And in the middle of the song, I just want a whole bunch of people lined up down the front here, just testifying to the ways you look back. It might be 20 years ago, or it might have just been last week. You can testify that our King is still exceedingly abundantly kind. Testify to the way that you've seen the kindness of God at work in your life. But just before we do that, I'd just love to pray for us. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.